0: He learns fast. That's a smart pastor you have there. Uh, yeah, it's, I, I, whenever we have multiple services, which has hardly been ever during my life, I always thought the first service is to warm up, and the second one, I'm ready to go. At my age, we just did the first one, and now you just get what's left over. But I, I did have an extra cup of coffee that will help my, keep my tongue loose. Um, it is very good to be back at Meriv- uh, Merrimack. I have said it wrong, didn't Merrimack Valley Baptist Church. Is that, the, is that the full name? I said that right. Yep. Uh, it's, the, it's one of the only churches in America that every time we come, you spoil us rotten. Uh, it doesn't sound like a real compliment, but it really is. Uh, you folks have a heart for missions. Uh, you take care of us so well. It's, it's been great. Um, I, I think of your staff. You know, you have Pastor Dave Pastor Dave is kind of interesting. I've got this mystery of mysteries that I haven't figured out, and that's how do you pronounce his last name? You know, Uh, if anybody can give me some hints after. But I'm just going to call him Pastor Dave. Does that guy, is there anything that guy can't do? I mean, that guy has talent eking out his ears. Incredible. And then we have the new guy on the block, Pastor Greg. You know, he wasn't here last time, so... That's why I got invited this time. The last pastor didn't invite me back. So, And I like to empathize with pastors and, and you, know, you know, feel what they feel and everything. I don't have any empathy for this guy at all. You know why? He married a nurse. Mm. Every time he gets a boo-boo, she comes up and, you know, kisses his boo-boo and puts his Band-Aids on and gives him his little shots and wipes his brow. And he doesn't even have to pay for it. I mean, soft life. I love these missionary conferences, though, because you meet—this is an—oh, there's Pastor Dave. How are you doing? Is it G or G or Wow uh, or—anyway, good job, man. Great administrator. Um, I'm supposed to be doing my slides and preaching. I don't know where I'm going here with this, but uh, you you come to the missionary conferences, and you get a variety. I mean, you really get a variety. You have the missionary Gusto—I don't even know how to pronounce his name. I don't know what he's doing in Italy. They must— Really, murder his name there. You know, a man that was at retirement age and decided, well, I haven't had enough. Let's go serve the Lord on the mission field. Incredible. Which proves you're never too old. Then you have Allie. She's the real shy one here in the front that's saying, oh, what is he going to say about me? Um, We met her two days ago and it's like we've. You're never too young. Now, you have to support that lady because where she's going in Japan, it costs more to feed her than my whole family in Brazil. So, Let's get behind and support that lady. Uh, and then you have the, 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 I have another never. You have uh, uh, Ben Johnson. Uh, ben Johnson was never satisfied. God gave that guy China. He's not satisfied. He went to New York where he has Chinese, Japanese, you know, Greeks and Hebrews. and I mean, every, every race there is. Are there any normal Americans in New York? <laughs> what a job. Uh, pray for these guys, uh, I, and, I, and I'll say it for him, and I'll say it for your pastor. Their job today is harder than any missionary on the field today. Uh, America is dying so fast. Uh, I am convinced beyond a shadow of a doubt that it's much harder to plant and grow a church in, the, in America's than it was in the jungles. Of the Amazon. Yeah, even more, it's more dangerous in New York City than it was in the jungles on the Amazon. But it's good to be here. I've got to take you through a, a slide presentation here. I just did that to break the ice. I don't know how much ice I broke. Um, we, are on the, we have been on the field for 41 years, and, and there's some major changes going on right now. And we did com- contact almost every one of our uh, pastors to talk these changes over. Uh, we are not quitting. We are not leaving. Uh, we are still full-time. I'm going to be full-time for another two and a half, three years when I hit 70. And then the mission throws me out, and we'll, we'll keep doing the same thing, but without as much money. Uh, but, we've been, uh, but there's been some major changes, and we wanted our churches to see very clearly what's going on. Uh, so that they understand what they're supporting. Uh, I'm to. i, I I'm a, I'm not much of a computer geek. Um, my son is a computer geek. He's this brain and IQ. Uh, I, I still say Kim had him all by herself because he is so smart. But um, I wanted to be something modern, so I went to the Internet, and I decided to get a, a, an artist symbol that would represent our four stages in life. And I got that picture on the left. But after I put that on there, I said, do I really want to compare my ministry uh, to a nuclear warhead? Um, <laughs> so then uh, we went to the moons, and that represents our four phases of ministry that, we're, that we've been through uh, during our years. And you notice we're still, we still have light to shine. It just isn't as much energy or light as when we first started. Um, did I do something wrong? Ah, here we go. The first stage, the first phase uh, was in Bahia, Brazil. Uh, we, uh, and by the way, I'm in missionary aviation, but missionary aviation, praise God for MAF, JARS, they're fabulous groups, uh, um, well worthy to support and back. But I grew up on the field, Kim grew up on the field, and we didn't want to just fly. Uh, we're church planners, and we're more than church planners. Both Kim and I have one thing very much in common. We're pioneers. Uh, even before Star Trek was around, we wanted to go where no man's gone before. We always wanted to hit places that had no real biblical work, and that's been our goal during our life. And God has given us seven churches uh, planted during our, our season on the field. Uh, but we started in Bahia. Uh, the first church we planted, we really didn't plant. Uh, we helped missionaries that were planning it. It's up on the on the uh, top right corner. It was in Pituba, in in the the first capital of Brazil, Salvador. Very strong uh, Spiritism. Uh, in, uh, in Deep, dark, candomblé, African spiritism in in that uh, town, mixed with all kinds of, uh, with syncretism of all kinds of religions. But we helped them work there while I was learning Portuguese, and then we moved interior to Itaberaba. Itaberaba had nobody. Assembly of God was in there, but all they had was a kitchen that was supplying food for the poor, and they were very poor interior uh, uh, Bahia. Well, seven years later, the result was the church down at the bottom right-hand corner, Hope Baptist Church, which had about 150 people in it and, uh, uh, and their own Brazilian pastor. That took about uh, six years to plant and get on its own feet. Uh, well, we then went to the Amazon to visit for a business meeting with my father-in-law, which was the director of aviation. It's the only way I could... Uh, get into the mission if I married his daughter. And uh, so, but we went to the Amazon for a business meeting. And during that time, God just broke my heart. I mean, that's, that was our first ABWE field in Brazil, or maybe the second one, but it was the first aviation field. Uh, We used to have seven doctors. By the time I got there, about a year later, they only had one from then on. We used to have three or four pilots, a year or two after I got there, I was the only one. And for about 700 miles of river, Tim and I were the only evangelical missionaries of any stripe planting churches. Very needy field. Uh, it was great. Uh, it was our, our paradise years uh, in Brazil. Uh, and... Uh, the first church we planted, we really didn't plant. It was already there, but uh, the missionaries had turned it over to Brazilians. It's pictured on your right in the middle. Had turned it over to the Brazilians. The Brazilian pastor stayed for only two years and then uh, buzzed out of there. And by the time we got in there, uh, the church was down to only about 20 people. Uh, the youth group only had about five, of which four were my missionary partner's kids. Uh, but God turned that work around uh, by His grace, and uh, about 12 years later, uh, we had another 130 uh, uh, in the membership, plus, vi- uh, plus visitors. They had their own Brazilian pastor. And we had a youth group that was quite large. Our youth groups ran between 50 and 100 youth uh, in, in the Amazon. Uh, it was, it, they were great. Uh, that's our house up on the left, by the way. Uh, uh, that we lived in, uh, uh, it, it floats on the river. Then we move downriver to Sao Paulo de Oliveira. Uh Sao Paulo de Olivenza is the Catholic mega center of the Amazon, uh, 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 Amazon River outside of the capitals. And I have to, again, rapidly put in here, when I say Catholic, don't think American Catholic. Uh, these, the, the Catholic of Brazil is so into syncretism, and so, I mean, they even have statues of Eshu, uh, which is Satan uh, in the Catholic Church, even the American Catholic does not recognize uh, the Brazilian Catholic, very, very strong, they rule in the Amazon, that was their their center place where they had the a house for the bishop and everything else, and it was so strong there that Kim and I literally for two and one half years had to rent a room in a hotel to start our work there. Uh, because they, nobody would sell, nobody would buy. Uh, it was a, a, a slow start work. Again, we were the only evangelical work of any kind in that town. But about 12 years later, left pictured in the middle and left at the bottom, uh, the Berean Baptist Church was born and grew. They had about 150, of which and a Brazilian pastor, and a school, uh, and everything else. God just worked some, some mighty things there. Plus, uh, the fact we also, during that time, worked the Indians very heavy. All the greatest missionaries, in my opinion, ABWE ever had in the jungle were leaving. They were retiring. They had health problems. The last—I was going to say the last old geezer, but I'm there. The last guy that was there uh, worked the Indian tribes, uh, had about 14 of them that he worked— Uh, uh, of Takuna Indians, and he came to me, and and he's already past retirement age and still working there, but he says, my wife is getting disoriented, and she's falling a lot and losing her balance. She fell in the bathroom and broke her arm and everything else. He says, so we're really going to have to go home, and he said to me, just like this, by the way, it's God's will for you to take my job, and then he walked away. He didn't say, "Will you pray about it. It's God's will. Who are you? Uh, I had the airplane. The airplane gives you multiple works, you know, going to one of those tribes, it would take about eight hours by boat. In the airplane, about 10 minutes. Uh, so I, I said, I'm all for it. So for most of the time we were on the Amazon, two times a month we'd fly down to three different locations where we had a student body of 80 to 100 uh, Indian leaders that we would train in the Bible. Uh, it was really fabulous. I loved the Amazon so passionately uh, that I actually said to Kim, I'm going to live, I'm going to die. When, when I die, just Put the body in the river, lighter fluid, you know, and we'll go. But God's thoughts are not my thoughts, and my thoughts are not God's thoughts, and God had another plan. I said to God, I said, you know, uh, 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 it's I mean, I said to Kim, it's going to take an act of God to get me out of here. Uh, God touched my wife. Um, physically, she had two problems that were physical problems. I'm not going to go into the, the history at all. But they were working against each other. One could be fatal, but, needed, but handled with antibiotics. But antibiotics would just, you know, mess with her really bad. And it got to the point where a doctor came to me and he says, Al, you need to pray about this. It's either Kim or the Amazon. I said, amen, decision made. Um, but I'll tell you, <sighs> Uh, I, I I understand Pastor Jamie and his wife, uh, who also were on the field. There was nothing more painful in our life than leaving that Amazon. I mean, there is so much need for missionaries and, and, and people to work in the jungle, and there were so few people. We had two pilots that remained in my place. They're now gone. The last of them just la- last la- la- left last month. Uh, so... Uh, we had to leave the Amazon, and we moved all the way across the country, stage three, uh, to Fortaleza. I mean, literally all the way across. It's about 3,000 miles uh, east to west, and it was a place of all these beaches and everything, but mm, Tim and I don't like the beaches. It's a big city. Ooh, we're jungle people, and we were in a church in the middle picture there that we weren't doing anything but attending church listening to sermons, uh, 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 listening to Sunday school classes. And uh, I, I went there because they, they wanted me to open up some biblical counseling training, which God also blessed uh, really greatly. Uh, and, uh, we started with uh, uh, these uh, one-time year, one-time-a-year conferences uh, to give biblical counseling training at that church. And we started with about 12 people, and last year they had about 500. Uh, and then from there, they asked us to go into the seminary and start a master's degree in, in, uh, in the seminary in biblical counseling. We started that, and not only did that one flourish, but our seminary down south also asked us to teach there. So we were teaching in the two seminaries. But I, I, I like to say, here, I believe I have Jewish blood in me, and, and, uh, um, and I mean the Jews that were in the wilderness, because I was practicing my, my favorite pastime. Uh, murmuring. And, you know, I, I don't, I want to, I'm a missionary. I'm a church planner. I, I don't want to only teach. Uh, well, God, in all of his mercy and patience and everything, uh, uh, still uh, gave me a job. Uh, and, but he wanted to prove it was his. He gave me a chance to start, Kim and I, a chance to start a church. Now, we talked Bahia seven years, Amazon 12, 14 years each church. This church was on its feet with a pastor in two years. Uh, even with COVID, COVID came in. Uh, uh, that's a slide that I missed last night. Uh, COVID came in, and I was sitting there going, God, you know, I'm just getting this thing rolling, and now I have to look at people, you know, on, on little teeny-weeny screens on my... On my God gave us six entire families during the first year of COVID. Uh, that would happen to curiously uh, uh, connect with us and uh, and then ended up joining our church. God gave us all those leaders at the bottom right-hand corner. The one with the balloons second from the bottom on the right is a man that was in seminary. He's finishing up his training and... Uh, as of this next christmas actually the the, the first week of december we're going to be in brazil we're doing a wedding we're doing a second graduation and we're doing his ordination council so that church will be totally autonomous uh, by the time uh, christmas comes um, and um, but I, just so you know I'll, just so you know uh, i'll get there in a minute Uh, Anyway, COVID came in and changed all of our plans. But uh, we have the two seminaries now. And things were rolling along pretty good. Uh, And then uh, uh, the health problem came up again. The last two years on the field were very tough for Kim. The last year was very tough for Kim. Uh, She basically was living in our room, which was our bedroom and our study and everything else in one with the air conditioning. And it got so bad that a specialist in the States that ran a total battery of tests says, Al, um, you got to make a choice, uh, in how God works, you know, uh, we're jungle people. So he took us to a city where I think there's a demon behind every steering wheel. It's the worst drivers in the whole country. The first week a bus came through my wife's door of my new car and said, oops, I didn't see you. Um, And he took us where the beach. And I think God did that to make it easier to exit the country. Um, So we are now home. I forgot to mention this in the first service. You get extra. You don't have to give any offering or anything for it. But uh, we will not be going back to Brazil because of her health. However, well, I, I added one more negative. I will never again get to plant a church in Brazil. And that breaks my heart too. But God's plan is better than my plan. But we're now full-time in two seminaries. I mean, four semesters a year in each seminary, teaching through Zoom, and I go back three or four times a year in visiting to do the practical part of the teaching. And so uh, our work goes on, uh, and, we, and, and we're full-time in that work until uh, 70. So we're home now in Georgia, at what the aviation base was. We're working in the seminaries. I'll pop by here as fast as I can. Uh, last slide that we'll show you. Uh, these are the men that are working with me there's only eight men in brazil that are trained to be able to teach uh our master's degree to teach our master's degree number one you have to know the material number two you have to have a doctor's degree uh on that level these are the only men in the whole country uh that can do that and 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 it's been a rich blessing and we could have never done it again without zoom uh we couldn't be moving uh, uh teachers from north to south brazil uh, the, the big miracle one is the young man with the big smile on the left. Uh, Fernando is quite a bit younger than me, less than half my age. Uh, he's also wiser than me, better looking than me. <laughs> um, and uh, he's an administrator. He's the, he's the uh, current, there's two presidents of the Brazilian Association of Biblical Counselors. Busy as can be. The guy does everything, working in several countries. And I said, well, who's going to take my place? I've got to have somebody in there. And Kim said, well, why don't you try Fernando? And in my mind, I'm thinking that's impossible. He's way too busy. But every time I haven't taken my wife's advice, I've usually made the wrong choice. So I called him up and I said, Fernando, um, hey, listen, um, I'm going to be, you know, having to turn this baton over uh, uh, in the next couple of years. Would you be interested in co-directing the program with me? Whew. And out of his mouth came the words, I've said this ten times, and it still blows me off. Out of his mouth he says, I have been praying for 30 days that God would give me a ministry that I could really sink my teeth into and a value where I could reach a whole lot of people. He has his own church, he has their own school, he has the the, the NASA Association, and he's now my co-director. Uh, And he actually could do it much better than me, but he doesn't have his doctor's degree. He's finishing that up, which he will finish up uh, as I'm turning 69. And then by the time I turn 70, I will be able to pass the baton on to him and on life goes. So that's where we are right now. We will not be again ever uh, planning a church in Brazil, uh, but we plan on working until there's nothing left in the body to go. Um, I wanted to take you a different direction here this morning, though. I always ask myself what am I going to preach, you know, the, he didn't say dinosaur, he was very nice, he held his tongue. Uh, what, what is an old dinosaur like me that's been here how many times over the last 40 years, uh, what am I going to preach that you haven't heard, especially in a church like this? And you could, I could go to Matthew 28, and believe me, that, that passage is not only good, it is necessary. Uh, if we aren't discipling, we need to be either discipling people or being discipled. Uh, everybody in the church should be doing that. Your pastor's job is only to equip you so that you can do the ministry. And, that, and this church does stand on those legs, and I praise God for that. Uh, but uh, Matthew 28, Acts, we're witnesses here, in Judea, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost parts of the earth. But what, what could I preach that would challenge the people? And I thought, well, I am going to go... Al Yoder's life experience, and I'm going to to teach you on a subject this morning that God took probably about the 40 years to to, to drum through on me, and I'm hoping that he will uh, teach you folks very well in this so that you don't spend 40 years having to learn and relearn and and going through something. The subject, uh, believe it or not, is suffering, and the title of my message is uh, that uh, uh, um, spectacular suffering. I'm dividing it up into three different sections. Uh, first is the purpose of suffering. And you have the passage in Mark. We're going to go there. That's the main point, but that comes at the end. Uh, uh, but you're going to talk about the purpose. And that's kind of a review of what you probably, every one of you already know. Then I'm going to add on another one, which is uh, a kind of like a uh, let's get a life. Let's see what the reality of suffering is today. And then the last part is what I call the missing link. It's the part of suffering that I believe that most Christians, to use an old phrase, they don't have their brain around this, this point. And I'd like to bring that to you because God had to teach it to me. So we're going to talk about spectacular suffering this morning, and we will get to Mark. Um, I I started off, um, I start off because I like to to bring illustrations that are real life illustrations, so I had to go back in my mind and said, um, let me think of some times when I suffered and had to learn through suffering. Well, the first time I, the first example that came to my mind was when I was a young little lad, and I don't know if you guys are going to believe this or not, but when I was young, I was uh, hyperactive. I mean, that really probably shocks you guys. Uh, I turned into a pilot because even as a kid, I was never on the ground, you know, My mother said, no pills, It's the belt. I just got to aim that energy in the right direction, you know. But I was a little hyperactive, and in that process, uh, I tended to make enemies every once in a while. Just incredible. I bet you can't believe that either. I'm a little kid in Guatemala, and I'm just ragging all over this kid. He's getting mad at me. He took his stick, and he put it in an anthill, fire ants, and since my mouth was open anyway, and it went into my mouth. I remember that day. Uh, um, then I, I think of uh, uh, um, I was with my dad, and my dad, my dad is is just the opposite. You know, uh, he's good looking, he's quiet, he's calm. You know, uh, but I always wanted to be like my dad. And he went out in Guatemala, and we were cho- he was chopping down these trees at the, at the radio station that he worked. And I wanted to be like my- so he gave me a little hatchet. I'm de- 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 like a woodpecker, you know, on these little teeny weeny things. I don't think I was making any headway, but anyway, I got these things, and I said, "Well, now goes my imagination." So I set one up, and I said, "I'm going to be like Zorro." Ching ching ching, and I made this beautiful Z on the wood. Then I got real pompous. And I said, "Now I'm going to split it in half," and I missed. And I went right through my kneecap. Um, uh, I remember the suffering. Even worse than that, when I was a young man and I had all my hair. and I, you know, I, I came back to the States and I went to a VBS. And I'm talking about um, uh, junior high school years. I went to a VBS and there was this pretty girl there. Uh, I, I hate telling this around my wife. And I thought... Well, I've got to impress her. So I went and got her a cup of juice, and I carried it over and put it in her hand, and she went, out the window. Uh, Emotionally, I was distraught for, you know, it was terrible. Uh, Then I remember after that, um, I I had two big uh, trips recently. The last trip was uh, 13 days, 2,200 miles, uh, meetings almost every day. It was really full. About the week before, I was helping my mother-in-law. You know, and I was thinking, I got to help her. She needs to, taking this, gra- the, this grass down that was real high. So I got my whip and I went whoosh, into the and I hit mud, and it was the home of mud wasps. Um, all of my arm, my face. I was preaching the word of God that night. Um, and then just before the trip, I got into poison ivy. So for the next two weeks, I was—you know—my chin was itching, my arms were itching, my body was itching. Uh, it was kind of fun. And then the churches in Grand Rapids wanted to say thank you, Alan, for coming up and ministering to us about missions. And they gave me a present. Uh, two days after I got home, the present appeared in the form of a fever, and I had COVID. Uh, so, uh, it's been, you know, one, one thing after another. Uh, everybody is going to go through suffering. And, and by the way, when I'm talking about suffering, I, I, I ought to make it very clear that I am sure there are people in this congregation that have suffered more during their life than I ever will. Um, nobody's akin to that. But why are we wanting to go on suffering? Because 2 Timothy 3, that talks about the last times, uh, in the last day, latter days, uh, which means obviously the last days that the church will be on. The, he says, there will come, and I'm trying to think of the word. I just went blank. I'm only thinking the word in Portuguese. Perilous. Perilous times. The word for perilous is a word that is synonym to terror, terror. Um, uh, terrifying times. And God says we are called to suffer. And one of the problems with our culture is that word is like, it's a, it's a, it's a terrible word. We want to avoid it at all cost. Uh, and, and anything we can do to not have to suffer, uh, put your seatbelts on. I believe the times are going to get a lot worse. And, and it's funny because in that same passage it talks about perilous times. It says people will be lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, and lovers of self. What is a better description of the United States of America, you know, uh, right now? And, and uh, I'm just convinced uh, that maybe Ali might not even make it to Japan before the Lord comes back. Um, but, you know, but in the meantime, I think we need to be prepared, and I think we need to, uh, we need to understand and get our brain around. Uh, what suffering is and its purpose, and, and that's that's what my purpose of bringing this. In fact, my, my I think it was my last conference that we came up here. The two days before we came up, uh, you talk about being familiar with suffering. Two days before we came up, uh, my mother, who was uh, more hyperactive than me, um, she had that little brain, uh, that little vein in her brain pop, and she was for six days in the hospital in agony. I came up at the beginning of that to the conference, and two days after I got here, I got a phone call and had to go home because she had passed away. And I, I've seen my, my sister die. I've seen my brother die. Uh, my mother die. My father-in-law die. Uh, and so, and so uh, suffering is a, is a topic that I'm kind of interested in. But let's go first in here uh, to the, um, what is the purpose of suffering? I'm going to give you these these verses you can note them down if you want but as you'll see most of these you're very very well familiar with Um, but uh, some of the purposes of suffering first of all uh, number one is for our sin Hebrews 12 uh, says that whom God loves now how many of you would raise your hand here and say God doesn't love me Uh, probably nobody you know Uh, God loves all of us Uh, were his children. Whom God loves, it says, he scourges. Uh, In in Brazil, there's a term that they use for parents that punish their kids the wrong way. It's called the cascudo. When the kid's not acting right, they, um, you know, on the head. Um, But, and I like to say in Brazil, this isn't a cascudo. It says, he scourges. He whips. Uh, When we sin, sometimes we... Sometimes we get into the, the Samson syndrome, you know, where we're sinning and sinning and sinning, and God's not doing anything, and, uh, and, and uh, at least it's not apparent that God's doing anything, and we think, ah, oh, that sin's not so bad. Uh, careful, because if God loves you, you will uh, feel the scourging. You, you will feel the whipping. I'm convinced that many Christians... Uh, suffer much more than they would have to suffer in God's will if we were living the way and you know what the problem is we're not talking about big outward sins like adultery like like fornication like you know uh, 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 murder Uh, we're talking about a lot of times hidden sins I'm I'm counseling now I've been counseling heavily with the the master's program since the year 2000 we figured about 3,000 hours up to now of counseling. And I found out in my studies uh, that as of four or five years ago, 80 percent, 80 percent of American seminarians are messing with pornography. I almost said it in Portuguese. uh, uh, Pornography. Uh, 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 60 percent of pastors that were interviewed by Christianity Today anonymously admitted they were into pornography. We're talking about sins that Gut. gut the family, gut the church, uh, uh, ruined marriages, and nobody really knows what's going on. Um, We've got to be careful uh, with that. We've got to remember that God has given us the privilege of being the, the, the head of the wife, the head of the church, uh, um, the, uh, um, and with that is the responsibility that we know when we sin, it will affect everybody else underneath us. Well, so sin is one, and again, I'm convinced that, that if... Um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I... I um, I drew a blank there for a second. We'll go to the second one. The second one is in John 15. It says, we suffer uh, to increase our usefulness. John 15, a passage I really like. I am the vine, you are the branches. And in the middle of that, he's saying, uh, uh, to the, uh, the, uh, uh, Christ is the husbandman. He comes in and he cleans, uh, uh, cleans the vine. Now, that doesn't mean with soap and water. The idea is, is a pruning. Uh, I worked at BBC uh, for many, uh, many years on the grounds while I was going to school there. We had to plant lawns, we had to plant plants, and, and I knew that several trees with flowers and things, if they, if they weren't producing, you'd go up there and, you know, and you'd prune it, and then they would, they would blossom. Hebrews talks about getting rid of the sins and the weights. There's many things in our lives that keep us from being as effective as we possibly could be. Um, uh, and God is going to use suffering it hurts, but to take uh, to get rid of those kind of things in our lives, uh, maybe it 's uh, uh, the extremely expensive car, maybe it 's the toys in our basement, uh, maybe it 's debt, uh, things that, that, that aren 't in, in, in themselves sin, uh, but that are keeping us from, I, when I teach the youth in Brazil, we have a, a program for um, uh, a discipleship program, especially for youth, and when i 'm working with the youth. Um, I, uh, we have what's called the LPS, the Life Purpose Statement. Why did God put you on this earth at this time in this place? Why do you think God saved you and, and what direction you're going? And we work through them, uh, through that with them for several months. But once they got that in line, then it's a lot easier to decide what we're going to do and what we're not going to do, make decisions on the side of the weights. Um, then uh, suffering is also used number three I mean, it comes because we're in a, a malfunctioning world romans 8 says the whole creation groans uh, like my ford escorts transmission uh the whole creation grow things just aren't working the way they're supposed to work uh i love the amazon it's it's to me, it's the prettiest place in the world. Get up after a rain in the morning and get up in the air and the, and the clouds are coming out of the trees and the macaws are flying two by two uh, under the wing. and everything. It's just gorgeous. We love the rain, 500 inches of rain every year in the Amazon. It's, it's beautiful, it's gorgeous. But, you know, every once in a while, one of those Amazon storms hit and they usually have winds of 35 to 40 miles an hour. Once one came up the valley and took off a third of my roof, Uh, and uh, then dump six inches of rain in my house. Uh, So it it doesn't work like it's supposed to. Uh, Nothing in the world is working like it's supposed to. So many times we suffer because of that. I had just finished painting a a car for my my child. I like buying junk and fixing it up and then uh, supplying my kids And I, I got this little Datsun 210 and painted it. It was just as gorgeous as could be in Indiana. Parked it next to my house, and they, I heard the warnings, that the sirens going off. Oh, there's a big storm coming in. It wasn't rain. It was hail. And all of a sudden, my Dotson looked like it had acne. You know? I mean, it was just all pocked up and, and, and messed up. Uh, it, the world doesn't work like it's supposed to. And sometimes that will be the cause of some extra suffering. Another reason, um, the sins of others. Uh, Jonah, the man of God, you know, uh, the man that God had chosen to, 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 to save and work with a whole bunch of people uh, jumps on a ship. Uh, he's sleeping at the bottom of that boat uh, while the sailors who aren't Christians are throwing away all their money. You know, Everybody was suffering because the man of God. And I like to point that out especially to us men. Again, men, um, I'm, I'm harder on men than women because I am one. And I, I, I recognize our faults and our weaknesses. Uh, men you have to remember that, that everything we do will affect those around us. I gave that example, but there 's a first peter uh, three seven is the, is the, the uh, uh, is in a, it, the part of the chapter that gives husbands responsibilities and wife's responsibilities. In verse seven, it says we're supposed to honor, uh, we're supposed to treat them like the weaker vase with a precious vase. You know, uh, we're supposed to be uh, treat the women with dignity. And 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 the thing that really gets me is the very last sentence. It says, "So your prayers will not be hindered." Uh, we live in an era where mostly girls, are cutting themselves with razor blades. We live in an era where Scripture is twisted. Oh, we can watch pornography because to the pure all things are pure. We live in an era where everything just seems to be, you know, what is, who is the Christian man that doesn't want God at your side, ready to hear your plea and answer your prayer? And I'm convinced that many families are weak and many churches are weak because the head, the man, has sinned that he's not taken care of. And now God is not listening or answering those prayers. Uh, be careful, men. Uh, when we sin, our whole family is going to take it. Um, sow and reap, Galatians 6-7. Uh, we, uh, 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 we suffer because we're going to reap what we sow. I, I, had a, I had kind of a hot temper, and I never really exploded on my wife. Um, I, I mean, uh, yeah, I never really exploded on her, about her, because of her. Uh, it it would be impossible. She's perfect. Um, But um, I would come home, you know, as a pastor with all the burdens of the world on my shoulder, and oh, it's just so bad, and grumbling and everything, and I'd, boom, uh, blow up at home. And there's my wife with tears coming out of her eyes, my kids hiding behind the couch, you know. Uh, And and, uh, and it got got to the point where it was pretty bad. Once I came in, and I I was so mad, I, I punched the door and broke the door and broke my finger. And, and you know what? I actually left that door broken for quite a while to remind me, oh, look how stupid you were, you know. Uh, but you know, it, it, you, what you sow, you're going to reap. And that, in, that includes not only stuff like pornography or anger, that includes gossip, that includes all these different sins outright or, or, in, or inside uh, that are going to come back to bite us are going to come back to bite us. Uh, The sixth one, uh, sometimes we uh, suffer for the advance of the gospel. Philippians 1.12, where Paul said, you know, what happened to me? But, you know, I'm glad because it went to the furtherance of the gospel. Um, I think of one of my heroes, Nate Saint, uh, him, he, and uh, four other men, uh, out there, uh, trying to reach these Indians, dropping them packages, inventing all kinds of stuff, and finally, they touched down on that beach and uh, were murdered every one of them and the whole world was shocked. these Indians are so salvage, and these missionaries went in there. But then what happens? just a little bit later, the wives walk in with their kids and win people to the lord and God used that 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 terrible suffering to give the Alka Indians a chance to, to receive Christ as their Savior. I think of our life. I work, was working as hard as I could uh, with everything I could in the Amazon. And, and we were pouring ourselves into the work, and we loved the work. And the Amazon was our paradise, and our house was our paradise, and we were seeing fruit. And then my wife uh, 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 gets sick. Uh, it was very hard to leave the Amazon. And God had to do that, because through that suffering, we moved to northeast Brazil where there was no biblical counseling of any type in the whole uh, eastern quadrant of the country. And God started the institute. God started the, uh, uh, the training program, the master's degree program. And I have 30 pastors in one class and 20 in the other that were training in biblical counseling and being able to help them with their churches. So God uses that suffering to further the gospel. But the, probably the most important one is, is uh, my number seven, is to develop character. This is one of the verses um you know what's bugging me pastor because i'm not looking at my watch and i'm getting guilty feeling that I'm, I'm going to go over it. okay I've, i saw it now i'll be able to relax romans 8 28 is a verse that that we sometimes don't understand wholly uh, it says all things work together for good i had a sister my sister i loved her to pieces she was a, a special little child her brain was disintegrating Uh, She lost her sight at five. Uh, She lost her coordination. I remember her uh, falling through the the living room, uh, independent, didn't want to be helped. And she popped in the kitchen, and she says, Mom, I want to go to heaven today. And my mom's saying, well, what does she mean by that? Why, why, Ruthie? She said, because if I go to heaven, God can give me two legs at work. These aren't worth a bean, you know. Uh, and you talk Jesus, and those blind eyes would shine like the sun. Well, Ruthie and I were very close. I used to work with her, help her with her doing her hair and braiding her hair and, 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 and going with her to the stores and everything. And, and I, I really loved my sister Ruthie. Well, when she died, it was hard. And I'll be honest, there's times where you look at those verses and you say, mm, I wish it wasn't in there. What's the good out of Ruthie's death? Then I had my brother, little Tim, who was just a little angel. Everybody loved Tim. Everybody looked at me and prayed for my mother. She was the most prayed-for prayed woman you know, every time they saw me. But Tim was this little perfect little Timmy, a uh, little quiet. He got into high school. He got into drugs. He got into drinking. And boy, does that alter you. And he ended up at 31, dying of hepatitis A, B, C, D, and HIV and everything else. Uh, and I said, this is for my good and then my mother, who in her 70s, had teens in her house almost every night, sleeping, eating pizza, whatever they want. It's open hu- oops, excuse me. It's open house. Um, and, and, and then all of a sudden six days later, she's in heaven. And then my father-in-law, uh, who came down to take a pilot's uh, place that was on furlough. And he met with us one week. We were supposed to go up and, and have Christmas with him the next week. And the day we flew in, he had passed away. And, and you say, that's for my good? What kind of suffering What kind of suffering are you going through? Be honest. Do you say, oh, that hurt? Boy, that was for my good. I'm so glad that happened, you know? Well, one of the problems is because we're really not, we're really not understanding the verse. It doesn't say... Uh, um, Um, for all things work together for good. So that means this one was really bad, but God's going to find something good to bring out of that. No, it doesn't mean that. So how do we understand the good? We go to verse 29, which says, He has predestined us to be like Jesus Christ. So, Anything that's bad that comes into my life, and I'm not talking about the punishment for my sin. I'm talking about I'm a victim. Uh, uh, I lost my job. I have a rebellious child. Anything that's bad and that comes into my life is for my good. And what's that good? It's to make me be like Jesus. Well, how can I measure that? I like to be able to measure that. Okay, well, my favorite passage is Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is what the Spirit of God produces in my life. Love. I don't produce it myself. I want to be more loving. Okay, now I'm more loving. No, God produces it in my life. It's, it's love. It's joy. It's, it's patience, long suffering. It's goodness. It's meekness. It's self-control. Those are the fruit that God produces in my life through the, the, the trials uh, that, that, that come into my life. So next time, Are you ready? Next time we go through something very painful or very difficult, and it's really hard and it's really painful, we ought to be asking, first of all, we ought to ask, uh, am I living in sin? Did I need to confess? But if not, you're really trying to grow. You should be asking, what was the fruit of the Spirit that was so weak that God gave me that rebellious child? Hmm. What was the fruit of the Spirit that was so weak in my life that God gave me... That husband that just, you know, doesn't treat me right. Uh, what was the fruit of the Spirit that God's trying to develop in me by taking my lifetime job away from me, and I'm now unemployed? Uh, that's what the purpose of that, that passage is, and we, and we miss it a whole lot. And I might ask you, when was the last time you went through a mighty trial? Did you stop to say, what fruit of God is he trying to produce in my life? Second point, and this will be very fast. Let's talk about the truth about suffering. And this one, I'm kind of scared to, to use because, again, I know that many people have suffered far more than I will ever suffer in my life. But on the other hand, uh, I'm leaving tonight so you can't throw stones at me. Um, America is the land of the plenty. America is the land of everything. You need to just, just go around um, uh, and... Um, Mr. Go, uh, my son's father-in-law, is Chinese, and he supplies—when uh, 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 when my son married his daughter, Chinese, families—families families marry in, in, in China, not just a couple. So I had to go over there for a, a year, I mean for a month, and he had to come and live with me for a month. And during that time, and I mean, he was with, if it was the bedroom or the bathroom, everything else, he was with me at my side. And we were visiting churches. And I said, Mr. Gull, I said, can you give me an example, I mean, of uh, what you really think of American Christians? He says, uh, American Christians uh, need to suffer more. Mm. And that was kind of a, a hard thing to bite, you know. And uh, in China, uh, you, you don't find... Fake Christians, or you know, uh, you're going to suffer if you're going to be a Christian. And he realized that one of the problems with us in America is we really don't have a lot of suffering, and maybe that's the reason God's taken us the way we're going. My favorite chapter on suffering is Hebrews 11. Um, Hebrews 11 is the, the, the heroes of the faith. You know, And it brings Abraham, and it brings all these heroes of the faith. And, and then at the very end, at verse 35, he says, women receive back their dead by resurrection. And if, if that were me, I would be saying, wow, hallelujah, great, praise the Lord. But then read the next sentence. But some were tortured. Hmm. How many of us have been tortured for our faith? And then read the next sentence. And this is the one that, you know, they tell you the Bible is a sword. This is the one that kind of sticks. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release. That makes your liver quiver. Uh, We're just the opposite in our culture. There's suffering. I need a pill. We're suffering. I need something. And I'd like to see all the suffering go, too. But we are so addicted on living a, 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 a life without suffering Uh, get get us into trouble. These people were suffering. They were tortured, and they didn't even, they thought it was a privilege to suffer for Jesus Christ. Verse 36, others were mocked. Well, I've been there. Flogging. Well, my mom hit me a lot. (laughs) Chains, imprisonment. Nope, I've never been there. Uh, Killed with the sword, sawn in two, stoned. I've never been there. And he's mentioning all these people that that are the heroes of the faith, enough to write them in the Bible. Skins of sheep and goats, no Nikes. Destitute, afflicted, mistreated. And then the next phrase, of whom the world was not worthy. Hmm. We don't know terrible suffering for our faith, and we may be there during our lifetime. We, I am convinced we will suffer more if we stay true to God. And that's why this third step is the most important to, to get our brain around. The missing link in suffering. And that takes us to Mark. Mark chapter 6. I'm only going to read a couple verses because obviously I don't have time to do them all. Uh, starting at verse 45, immediately he he, he had just Fed the 5,000 people. Now you can imagine how long it took 12 disciples to, to hand food to 5,000 men, not counting their wives and their children. They're exhausted, they're tired. And what does he do? He says, Go in the boat and row to the other side. And he went up and took a nap, right? <laughs> he went up to pray, and he prayed, and he prayed, and he prayed. But it says, immediately after, he made his disciples get into a boat and go before him to the other side. Now, the Sea of Galilee is big. I believe it's 20, 25 miles. I'm not really sure. Uh, but I know that in the nighttime on the Amazon, I've been in storms, and you can't see your hand in front of your face. And if it's, just, if it's just a matter of looking out over the ocean, you can still only see about 12 miles. And here they're out there about 12 to 15 miles at night in the storm. And they're battling with everything they can, and losing the battle. After uh, um, and after he had taken leave of them, he went up to the mountain to pray. And when the evening came, when the evening came, the boat was out on the sea. They're rowing across, no motors. They're halfway across uh, um, the sea. He was alone on the land. He saw them. (laughs) They were making headway painfully. I love the way the King James puts it. You know, it's kind of picturesque. They're making headway painfully. You know, it's not happening real well. For the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Now, many miracles have tried to be imitated, but just the fact that he walked on the water, and nobody has ever been able to do that, that should be proof enough to the disciples and to everybody else that he was the real God. Uh, He meant to pass them by. That phrase, I believe, means he meant to to walk around them so that they all knew who he was. And that he had come out there. But when they saw him on the sea, uh, they thought it was a ghost. And they cried out, don't judge him. We probably would have done the exact same thing. For they all saw him and were terrified. Uh, Now they're on the storm. They're in at night. They, They don't have any sump pumps in their boat. Their boat's probably filling with water. The rain's pouring down. The lightning's striking. And all of a sudden, this white thing comes walking around and, they, and you know, they are scared. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And he got into the boat and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. Now, that word they're astounded also is kind of tricky. It doesn't mean like they were having this you know, praise service. It's Quite the opposite. That means they were, they were scared stiff and they couldn't figure out what was happening because read what it says. They were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves. Their hearts were hardened. So they're in the storm. And I was in a storm one night coming back from my town, uh, back to my floating house. And we, we hardly ever went at night because the nighttime on the river is very, very dangerous. But we were going that night for some reason and a storm hit us. And literally, I couldn't see my hand. My sump pump broke. And I'm telling you, the boat started to go down, filling up with water. I'm trying to gun it through this little galley with, using a GPS to make sure I don't hit anything on the way in. I wasn't singing God's praises at that moment. Uh, and it was frightening. And, it, and I was thinking, my family, my kids, everything could go to the bottom tonight. That's the way they were. Think about in thinking about this story, think about a time where you went through tremendous trial, tremendous pain, uh, tremendous persecution, whatever. Think about that and, and, and try to picture that in your mind. For me, the first time was that night when the, when the boat almost sank with my entire family in it. The second time that I can really remember it was when that, I, we already told you the story about when I was flying a, a plane home to the States over Guyana. I had a, an engine failure. And I'm in the mountains, in the rain, no charts, uh, the Andes Mountains descending, uh, wondering when it was going to be all over. Uh, and um, it, was, it, was, it was kind of spooky. Uh, I've had three times in my career that Christians, with lying and slander, destroyed entire ministries. And you know, when the, when the unsaved world does that, you go, oh man, well, they're not saved, you know. But when it's friendly fire, you know, it is exceptionally painful. I've been there. Maybe it's a rebellious child. Maybe it's loneliness. Uh, maybe it's something like what I have, the old age creepies, which means the brain says, let's go do this, and the body says, uh-uh, you know, uh, it's not going to happen. You know, maybe it's some kind of trial like that, this Answer me a question. Have you ever come, and be honest, you don't have to raise your hand, okay? Just, just think the answer. Have you ever come to a point in your life it, during a fiery trial where you actually said, where's Jesus? <laughs> uh, does Jesus really care? I got down on that river in Guyana. It took me 25 minutes through the storm, descending in the blind, broke out over the river, put the airplane on the river, got it tied up to the land and what was the first thought that this mature missionary was thinking why me god i had my devotions this morning you know i kissed my wife goodbye <laughs> don't you care i mean it just saved my life but i'm still you know don't you care have you ever been to that point where you say, Is Jesus there? Does, is Jesus, does Jesus really care? Was he really there? Now, we got to remember, our theology says one thing. Our life doesn't always back that. God says in Isaiah, uh, God creates good and God creates COVID, calamity. Uh, it says God turns the heart of the king in the direction he... That means that all the stuff that's coming out of Washington... It's because God wants it to happen. Ouch. Uh, uh, God made the evil man for the evil day. God is totally sovereign, and God is totally sovereign. He did, nothing catches him by surprise over all of our calamities. So what do we do when we start? Paul Tripp, he's one of my favorite uh, preachers and teachers and counselors. I got to know him pretty well. And uh, he once said this on this passage. God will take you to where you have never been to do things we could not do for ourselves. I could stay an hour giving you examples of where God let the, the, the job become 100% totally impossible. And then he did it. So I couldn't take the credit. And God is going to take us, even in suffering, to places we don't have no way of figuring out what's going on. We're totally perplexed because he wants to do what he wants to do in our lives. So when did Jesus, the big question is, when did Jesus start caring for those, and this is the key, this is the main point, and with this I'll finish. When did Jesus start really caring for the disciples? Was it when he was out? you know, on, on the sea, walking the sea, and he saw the boat, and he saw it rocking, and he saw the rain coming in. Oh, man, look at them. They must be terrified. No, it wasn't then when he started caring for them. Was it when he decided to walk on the water? Whoa, they're in trouble. I'm going to walk on No, it wasn't then when he started caring for him. Was it when he heard their cries? Imagine, 12 miles away, and he's hearing them cry out in the storm. Was that when he said, whoa, they're in trouble. I got to go help. No, that isn't when he started caring for them. Was it when he saw the storm and the lightning? We did that last night, didn't we? (laughs) They're just going to have, you know, light rain. Uh, Was was that when Jesus started saying, whoa, you know, they're out there all by themselves? No, that's not when he started caring for them. Just think about it. Who sent the storm? God. Who gave us that rebellious child? (laughs) Who gave us that difficult husband? Who gave us that loss of job? God? God? Who sent the disciples? Jesus. Get in the boat and row to the other side. He knew it. He knew when the storm was going to hit him. Jesus is totally in control of everything. And here's the point. Here is the difference between, oh, we're in a storm. I know God will take care of me. Everything's going to work. He'll find something good to do about this. We have to come to the point in our life, and I've had to do that several times because I'm a slow learner. We have to come to the point in our lives when we say the storm is the grace of God. Psalms 119.71, I thank God for my trials because they immersed me in the word of God. God sees what we need. God brings the storm The storm drives us to the Word, and now we can do, as James says, we can have joy in our trials. Now, that doesn't mean that they don't hurt. They hurt. And there'll be plenty of trials that they'll be crying. And there'll be cancer, like my best friend's wife last week, that they won't be cured of. And he's burying her. He buried her last night. There'll be a lot of those trials, but we can have joy knowing that God's not only there to help us through a storm— His grace is the storm. He's thinking about us. He's thinking about where he wants us to get, and he's using these circumstances, these painful circumstances, to get us there. The storm is the grace of God. I don't know about you folks. Maybe you do and have for a long time understood Romans uh, 28, 19, 20. No, I'm sorry. I'm really goofing. Romans 8. Uh, that all things work together for good. Uh, Maybe we do understand that. But I'd like us to get to the point, and without having to learn it as many times as I did, that when a storm comes, we can clearly see that storm is God's grace on my life. And it will change your entire life. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for everything you've done for us. Thank you for this time together. Father, forgive my stammering tongue and brain, uh, but Father, that everybody in this room, uh, as I have had to also learn, can see what is the important part, can see what you're trying to tell us, that nothing happens in our life without your design, and that every one of those storms is your grace given to us in our lives. Thank you for loving us. It's hard to say, Lord, but thank you for the suffering. And may we grow to be like Jesus Christ and be able to help others in the same way. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.